afternoon. Uh, <laughs> uh, my name is Michelle Wu. I'm a covenant community member here and co-shepherd the Cedar Park Lake Line CG. Yeah. Um, today we're going to be reading out of 2 Peter 1, 12 to 21. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but when men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. All right, redeemed of God, how are we? Good. Hey, worship got me lit, so we're about to get in. You ready? Uh, week two of Second Peter. Let's chop it up. Um, as a very high-level reminder, uh, we're looking throughout this series at what it means to construct our faith rightly uh, around Christ and around the things of Christ, hitting specifically on our core conviction of being or guided by the word. And so we want to be a people, we say our core conviction, we want to be uh, empowered by the spirit and, not but, and guided by the word. And so last week, Peter, before diving into the heart of his letter, uh, really hit on the most important and the main thing, which is the gospel of grace. And as we journeyed into this gospel, Peter implored us that there is nothing more significant, there is nothing more important than us following, understanding, and falling more in love with the person and the work of Jesus. What we are looking for in our lives is found most clearly in Christ. And we got to be careful to never neglect this gospel message and to really actually grow into the depths of the gospel. Like that should be our duty as believers is to grow in deeper with Christ and who he is. Particularly because there's more of Jesus to be had is what Peter was telling us. And so he implored us, grow in the grace of God and grow in Christ. Receive more of Jesus. Don't allow this salvation just to be this random experience and then you kind of move on throughout life. No, grow deeper in the gospel of grace. And so Peter picks up where he left off last week in a lot of ways in our text today. And Peter says, therefore, which is the first word, which if you've been in church long enough, you know the trick. You have to ask, what is the therefore? Woohoo! Bible scholars. See you? All right. 
Listen, the therefore says, hey, in light of everything I just said, right, in light of the gospel, in light of being able to fall deeper in love with Jesus, the mysteries of grace, the fact that you can know Christ more and that you should be growing in Christ's likeness, in light of all of this, Peter says, remember. Notice three times in four verses he calls us to remember or to be reminded of the gospel, to recall the gospel of God. Now, is this because this church forgot the gospel? No, right? Peter actually affirms his congregation here. He's like, look, I know that y'all are killing it in the faith. You know the gospel. You about this Christian life, right? Gang, gang. That's what he's saying here. He says, I want you to go and, 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 and to continue to apply it, but you know and you're established in the gospel truth. But it is right of me to stir you up at this time so that whether the sun is shining or, or the, the seas are raging, that you might be able to recall these things. And often, I believe that we want to graduate from the gospel family, but there's nothing to graduate into. You do not graduate from the gospel. You grow deeper and deeper in the gospel in fact, I believe that some of us are tempted uh, to graduate from the gospel into like deeper things of theology, but then be the very same people that are not able to recall the gospel when times of trial comes. We need to stay in the gospel. There is nothing more beautiful. There is nothing more deep or mysterious than God divine becoming man incarnate that you might be able to be reconciled to God. We will never get over that fact, y'all not just on earth in eternity. And so to that end, the scriptures, he says, listen, stay in the gospel and stay in the scriptures because the scriptures keep pointing us to our King Jesus. Now, why do we remember the gospel? Well, there's a plethora of reasons, but Peter gives us three in this text. Peter says the gospel is able to establish us, it's able to energize us, and it is able to equip us to establish, to energize, and to equip. Verse 12, he literally uses the word establish, and that word, it means to be locked in, to be set firm, like, like a firm foundation, cemented into the ground, unless you live in East Austin. Your foundation was built on sinking sand, all right? That's why we need to build our house on something more sure like Jesus. Hallelujah. About to be rebuking the clay under my house, right? But the gospel, it establishes you, it foundations you so that you don't feel blown all over the place. And for a lot of us, we can actually recognize that we have not been cemented in the gospel like we know that we should because 2020 and onward has kind of shaken us in some ways. And so we sing, hey, rain came and wind blew, but, but do we really believe that? And do we really work at establishing our foundation on Christ? The gospel, it secures your heart, soul, mind, and strength, beloved. It roots you in the faith. Do y'all hear me? It roots you, y'all. And so root in to the gospel. Established is what he says. As opposed to Peter's body, which isn't the word body here. That's actually the Greek word tent or tabernacle, something that can very easily be moved. And so the gospel is like a foundation, but our bodies are like tents. And yet we try to build everything in our lives for these tents that are so easily blown away with the wind rather than building it on he who cannot be shaken. We are to build everything in our lives on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter says the gospel establishes it foundations us, 
And so remember what matters. Remember how to stay rooted. It also stimulates us, or the second word, energizes us in that way. It is ready to equip us and energize us for the faith. That word to be stirred up there in that text It means to be uh, aroused awake, almost like being like stirred up out of sleep, like you're knocked out and then boom, you get shaken up and you alert awake. Peter says the gospel is able to shake us and say, hey, awake, O sleeper, and remember what matters. Remember the importance of the gospel. If we want to endure and stay rooted in Christ and be shaken by the right thing rather than be shaken by the world around us, then we need to be equipped and established in the gospel. Each of us are frequently tempted to do the other thing and to try to build our house on sinking sand. The gospel, it establishes our faith into the end. It energizes our faith to get to the end and to remember that very gospel which establishes us. And then it also equips us, Peter says. Notice that in this text, Peter says he's going to make every effort. Now remember in verse 5 of last week, he told us to make every effort to add to our faith. And here Peter says, I'm going to join you in making every effort to make sure that you remember the gospel to make sure that you're able to do this well, that you're able to equip it into your life. Look, Peter knows he's going to die. And so rather than just hearing it from him and allowing him to be the beholder of the gospel, he says, I want to equip you with the gospel so that when I die, you may be able to equip it in your life at any time. We need to grow in understanding the gospel of grace. I want to equip you is what Peter says. Remember, the person of Christ, and remember the work of Christ, and doing that and growing deeper and deeper in that reality is the most important thing you can do, family, period. There is nothing more important than growing in the gospel of grace. In fact, if you ever tire of growing in Jesus and in thinking about Jesus and in understanding more of Jesus, then you're not really going to like heaven, In fact, can we keep it real? You might not even get there. Peter says the gospel is the only thing that matters. Is that true in your life? And do you want to grow more and more into Jesus? Now, Peter doubles down from last week and says, remember, at any time be able to recall the gospel. And oftentimes, family, I just feel like, even as a pastor of a church, I kind of hear people saying things like, hey, tell me something new. Right? Like, like, give me something more. But the Bible is consistently like, no, remember something old and then make that good news in your life today. Understand, family of God, the gospel interacts with every single area of your life. So understand the gospel, learn how to apply that in your life so that it may be good news today and tomorrow and 50 years from now. That is the gospel that we are called to live into. And so notice how Peter is saying, look, I want you to just be so rooted in this. And notice what Peter does here. I think it's really beautiful, very pastoral. Look at the I and the you pronouns there on the screen. You see, it's one thing to personally endure in gospel remembrance, but it's another thing to tell others as well to make sure that they are able to endure in it too. And so you need to not just learn how to take the gospel and apply it into your life, but you also need to learn how to take the gospel and apply it into other people's lives as well. 
We say this often at the well. We don't just find community, but we fight for community, or sometimes community fights for us. And we have to know how to fight for our brothers and sisters to teach them how to apply the gospel. Get used to, family of God, pointing people to the finished work of Jesus. In their marriages, in their finances, in their addictions, in their victories, and in their failures, and in every area of life, remembering and applying the gospel is what the Christian life is about. Really, that's what the Christian life can be summarized as. Applying, loving, worshiping, understanding Jesus, and then helping others do the same. Now, Peter, after imploring them of their remembrance, he then goes where the gospel message can be most clearly and vividly found. And he starts off this long oration about the importance of the Bible. For this is where the good news of Jesus and everything in our life is very clearly found. Note that Peter says, look, we ain't out here like following these fairy tales, sound good, proverbial type of stories. This is facts, homie. Right? He's like, I saw this stuff, is what he says. Now, what Peter is about to say here, y'all, I just personally, this is Tori, I believe it is one of the most profound things in all of the Bible to me. Notice that Peter says, you can trust what I'm saying about Jesus being worth it, about the gospel importance, about learning how to apply that in your life, because we saw this, fam. He says, we were eyewitnesses to this reality. In fact, we heard the voice of God on the mountain. What he's talking about here is the transfiguration. If you're familiar with the scriptures, in all four of the gospels, Peter, James, and John, they went up to this mountain with Jesus, and Jesus was transformed or transfigured before their eyes where they saw this is not just a man, this is God incarnate. And they saw Jesus in his glorified form. And this was profound to them. And, and God cracked open the skies and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to them. And Peter says, we saw that. And, and we heard God's voice. And we saw Moses and Elijah, which I never know how they knew it was them, but they knew it was them. And Peter got rebuked. He's like, uh, uh, can, we, can we build tents here? And Jesus is like, what you doing, fam? Right? But this is what we saw. This is what Peter is saying. I mean, come on, y'all. Like, can we imagine that reality real quick? Like, let's paint vividly the Bible. Don't just allow this to be 2D. Make it 3D in your life. Imagine if something like that happened. Like, imagine if all of a sudden right now I just, like, burst out in Shekinah glory. Right? And you were unable to look at me because I was shining, and then God ripped open the roof and was like, this is my beloved pastor. Right? Like, you would be, and you would be, and I'm just a man. They saw this for God himself. Like for Jesus himself, do you know how, like I would die to see this, y'all. In fact, when I die, I am going to see it. Hallelujah. Well, this is a crazy experience, though, is what Peter is saying. But then, don't miss verse 19, y'all. Peter says, we have something more confirmed than that experience. The Bible. Dag. More confirmed than with our own eyes and our own ears, hearing and seeing Jesus transfigured before us is the word of God. I hope you could feel the weight of that sentence, right? Like most of us would kill to have a vision of Christ like this, y'all. 
or, or to have a word from God or, or to have crazy dreams in our life or, or, or to have some prophetic word spoken over us into our life because we think that that is what will establish us in our faith or energize us in our faith. But Peter says we have something more sure than that, the Bible. Whew. Like, come on, man. Can I preach today? The Bible is so powerful, family, because everything in the Bible points to the powerful one, Jesus. If knowing the gospel and applying the gospel of Jesus to understand love, to live in this Christian life, to know love, joy, peace, patience, to equip us with grace and shalom, like Peter said in verse 2 and earlier in chapter 1, if, if living into Christ's likeness, if, if growing into the depth of Christ, if understanding the realities of Jesus, if this is what the Christian life is about, then it makes sense that the Bible is as powerful as it is because nothing points more clearly to the finished work of Jesus than scripture. Notice Peter says, pay attention to this, right? He says like, like, like actually dig in. Don't just like, oh yeah, the Bible, cool. No, 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 pay attention, right? Like this world is dark and your emotions, they are dark, family of God. And journeying throughout this life and making it to the end is hard because it is dark, but the Bible is the light that will guide us to the morning star, which is Christ himself, Revelation says, towards the light of the world, that we might endure the darkness of this world. The scriptures are superior to everything, family. In fact, the first point that the scriptures lay out that is superior to is even over our own human experiences. You see, a lot of us want to find rootedness and life in Christ in some experience. And don't get me wrong, y'all, experiences are awesome. Like, I pray for them often for myself, and I pray for them for you. That you would experience Christ in worship. That you would hear God speaking to your heart. That you would see him in these miraculous and beautiful ways, because I genuinely think experiences are awesome. I've had them over and over again. Some of them, if I shared with you, you would think I was a little bit cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over. <laughs> because I've experienced depth with God that is beautiful. Experiences, y'all, they drive intimacy and joy and passion, but nothing has kept me consistently on fire for God like the Word of God. That is where I found rootedness. The gospel is found in the scriptures, family, period. In fact, as I was prepping this week, I, I realized something crazy. Of all the experiences, the supernatural experiences that I've personally had with God, which once again, for those of you who grew up in vanilla Christian Christianity, some of them will make you uncomfortable. Like I've experienced God in some profound ways, but of all the experiences I've had, like interacting with what I think to be angels or what I know to be demons, both here and overseas, or going to China knowing not a lick of Mandarin and speaking with somebody who knew not a lick of English and sharing the gospel with them and seeing God move in these profound ways, or having visions from God and dreams from God, or feeling like I was in the throne room of God and hearing things that weren't happening on earth yet I was fully awake, or being able to hear prophecy spoken over me over and over and over again, and they become true over and over and over again, or giving that to someone else. Of all the experiences that I've had, as I reflected this week, what I realized was there was only one experience I can think of where God did not partner that experience with a piece of scripture as well. I find that fascinating, y'all. And here's what I realized. 
as I went on, the experiences, they died out, but the scripture stayed rooted in my life. It was the scripture that I remembered, not the experience. It was the scripture that re-brought even some of that feeling, not remembering the experience itself. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so, listen, like, I got saved because my father challenged me to read the Bible for five minutes a night and say, if this is true, follow it, and if not, then throw this mug out the window. In fact, the full story is I was listening to this Cameron CD, and he thought it was a wax CD, and he took the CD and threw it out the window, and he was like, like this wax CD. And I was salty, y'all, because I was in high school, and I had just bought that CD, and it was like 10 bucks. That was a lot back in the day, all right? But he was like, look, you either believe this or you don't. And I fell in love with Jesus because I read the scriptures. I think about my wife. My wife said that she found most of her intimacy with Christ as she began to read the scriptures for herself. That's what lit her up on fire for Jesus. Yusuf, in fact, during our team exegesis this week, he said something profound. He said that everyone he knows that has built their Christianity around some experience with God has walked away from the faith. Now, I'm not sure if I can go as far to say everyone that I know, but for sure most of the people that I know that have fallen away from the faith have built their Christianity around some experience. Because y'all know how experiences are, y'all, right? Like, like you have this crazy time in worship or someone gives you a word that is perfect in season and you're like, this is amazing. Come Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And then two weeks later, you'd be like, God, do you even love me? Right? I do that. And so personal experience is powerful and is good. But y'all, there are 6,000 years of human history and 40 different authors, yet somehow they're all writing about the same person and the same work. And it's all tied together. Despite the geography that they are from or the generations that they came from, it doesn't contradict. It all aligns and it all points us to Jesus. This is powerful, family. That's an unbelievable reality. This is what Peter is saying. He says the Bible is powerful because God wrote it. That's how he ends there. No man wrote this through their own interpretation of God. It was the precious Holy Spirit that authored it through them. This is what gives power because God's the one that wrote it, and God is the powerful one. We often want to hear a word from the Lord, but I'm telling you, we hear God most clearly through the Scriptures, now listen, this isn't a sermon for apologetics of the Bible either, why we should trust it. That's a different sermon for a different day. But if you struggle with this, there's actually a ton of resources here. But I also want to tell you that the Bible is superior not just to human experiences, but also to human discrediting. You see, most people just kind of randomly say the Bible can't be trusted, like it has contradictions. And fam, that just ain't true, Okay. Like, this book is 20 times more reliable than any other ancient facts where you get your history from that you believe is true. Because of all of the biblical manuscripts and the artifacts, therefore we know that even the words we have hasn't changed from the original author's writing, when it was written and how it was written. And listen, y'all, the amount of theological depth that you could find in the scriptures and yet for it not to contradict itself is unbelievable. If me and one of my great friends, Anthony, who is a pastor with me at the same church, went apart and tried to write a letter, we would contradict each other. And yet, there are 40 different authors that are all writing that do not step on top of each other. This is insane, family of God. All of the archaeological proofs, all of the criticism that it has endured, and yet it endures. 
God, family, listen to me, is not a facetious father so as to leave you wondering and wandering about who he is and what he is like and how to come to him. He has given you a clear roadmap. It is the scriptures of God. God loves you. Praise God. He is a good father. There is so much life in this word, family. And here's the deal. I think that this is why Satan tries to attack it so much. It's why you're always tempted to do 5,000 different things when it's time to read this because Satan desires to bring death and he knows that you jumping in this brings life because it points you to he who is life, Jesus. In fact, this is the reason it stands up above our experiences because even Satan himself can create experiences and feelings, right? He can manipulate the circumstances in our life. The Bible in 2 Corinthians calls him, uh, he's disguised as an angel of light. He looks like he's light himself. So our experiences can manipulate us in times. In fact, while we're here, how many elders in the room right now? I see two, praise God. Listen, Peter is telling us how to construct our faith. And he says, you do this through the scriptures and I believe that so much deconstruction happens when we stop trusting the words of God as the word of God, as it says in verse 21, and we stop drinking from the flowing waters, which is life. I believe that's why when people try to deconstruct Christianity, the first thing they do is they either hit on personal experiences apart from Scripture, or they try to dismantle Scripture. And the Bible stands above our personal experience and people's dismantling because the Bible is more confirmed than our experiences. Listen, though, can I talk to some of y'all? Especially you who have grown up and have experienced some church hurt or even some church abuse, maybe, specifically around God's word. If Satan can manipulate our experiences, which he can, he can also manipulate the word of God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, the first time we see anybody but God speaking is Satan. After Adam bestows Eve with this beauty and this, this poetry, we see Satan himself speaking. And what is he doing? He's trying to discredit the word of God. He said, did God really say? And then he goes on. Or even with Jesus himself, we actually see in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, Satan quoting scripture to Jesus. He's just quoting it out of context. He's interpreting it incorrectly, which is what Peter is saying not to do here. Satan has always been trying to take the words of God and to tarnish them. And sometimes he does this in our hearts, through our emotions, but sometimes he does this through other people as well. Listen, check. Don't lose me here, okay? Stay with me for a second. Every good gift and every beautiful and perfect gift that comes from God, the scripture says, but in the hands of evil, those same good gifts can create such destruction and harm, family. Like, think about something else. Think about something like sex, right? Sex, God designed, not Satan. Y'all know that, right? God didn't come back and was like, what are you doing, Satan? Right? I know God created this. It is a good and a beautiful gift. And when rightly used, it brings all of this oneness in a marriage relationship. And there's this intimacy and there's this beauty and there's this emotional and physical and spiritual connection that happens that represents Christ in the church. So sex rightly used is a beautiful gift, but because it's so powerful, wrongly used, man, it dismantles lives around us. 
It leaves you feeling hurting because you've given yourself away, thinking that all you are is a body to be offered. And then when they leave, you feel broken because sex is powerful, but it's also a strong weapon. You think about all the sex trafficking that's happening or, or the pornography addictions, even though 65% of porn that we look at is actually sex trafficked porn. So we're aiding to this destruction, but sex wrongly used becomes this wild tool of destruction in our lives. You could do this with any of God's good gifts. Things like food and, and, and overindulgence or, or alcohol, which is a gift from God, and yet we overconsume it. Or things like power, Lord. Power rightly used is beautiful because the powerful person lays down their life to lift up those who are oppressed, but power wrongly used can literally dismantle entire countries, y'all. Every good gift from God wrongly used creates unbelievable destruction. And so the Bible is one of God's greatest gifts for humanity, and when it's rightly used, it brings a life, family. In fact, can we read a passage that highlights that? Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10. I love this passage. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so, or likewise, shall my word that goes from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. It will accomplish that for which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Listen. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountain and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And the fields, the trees of the field, they shall clap their hands. Instead of thorn, shall come up the cypress. And instead of briar, it shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Look at this. The Bible, the word of God, is able to take thorns and briars and turn them into fruitful trees. That was the testimony of the baptisms a couple weeks ago, wasn't it? Three people didn't even have anybody really share the gospel with them. They just started reading the Bible and their lives transformed, family of God. That was my life in a lot of ways as well. It is able to do these powerful things and take what is dead and bring it to life. So something this powerful can also create nightmares. And so Satan wants you to throw this away and to not find life. That's half the problem. Or that this would not be used as a lamp to Christ, but as darkness that glorified a person over the Messiah. So the Bible, though powerful, can also be used for abuse, and it's why some of us don't trust it. But I'm telling you, don't allow somebody else's abuse to then make you mistrust the scriptures. Think about something like slavery. It was this Bible that was used that enslaved my people for hundreds of years, justifying the slavery by misquoting or misinterpreting the words of God. And yet, I think it's powerful because this same book is the book that started the abolitionist movement that created all of this life, and it was used to liberate us and create in us the black church, which was one of the biggest change agents throughout all of American history. The same book, right? I'm getting a little bit too far into this because we're going to cover this next week too, shoot, all right? But look, when this is someone's own interpretation, look at that on the screen, put that back up there. This is where hurt comes in, okay? Including your own interpretation, by the way, right? When we believe, or when we say we believe this but then don't live like it and we try to justify our actions, that creates hurt, family. And if you've been hurt by someone like this, please hear me. Please hear me. 
I am so, so sorry, genuinely, I am sorry that that happened to you, that some leader who probably wasn't a leader, probably was a little insecure boy, but some leader that they began to malign the scriptures and now for some reason you don't trust God. I'm sorry that that happened to you, but I am pleading with you today, do not throw the Bible out with the bathwater. The word of God brings life. When it's rightly used, it is so freaking powerful. And that's why Satan tries to take the powerful words of God and twist them just like he did in the garden and make this a powerful weapon. And we all got to be careful of it because we can all do this thing. When we make scriptures say what we want them to say, we are muffling the voice of God at best or putting words into the mouth of God at worst. And we're making this thing say things that are dangerous and they hurt you and others around you. And so we're hearing this because our hand's over the mouth of God or we're being an advocate of Satan and we're twisting the words of God. Yet, when rightly used, the Bible is superior to human abuse because the Bible brings life. Ultimately, Peter's point here, y'all, is powerful because this is the thing that reminds us of the gospel message. It's the very thing that we're told to remember over and over and over again. You see, rightly used, the scriptures, they secure your faith and they energize you in the faith and they establish you in the faith and it freaking lights you up, family of God, more than some experience ever could is the word of God. And honestly, that's because in the word of God, you personally can experience the transfiguration of Jesus over and over and over again. You see, Peter saw Jesus transfigured up on that mountain, but everything in the scripture is pointing to the glorified son. And so as you, like Peter, see the scriptures correctly, then you see Christ transfigured before your eyes in the Old Testament stories. And you see him transformed before your eyes in the New Testament as well. And you see David, though he looked like a king, begin to transform and it shows you the person and work of Christ. And you see Ruth, though she's just a type of Christ, begin to reveal to you the glories of the Son. You, through the scriptures, see Jesus transfigured on the mountain over and over and over and over again. The scriptures lead to life. Jesus... It's called the Word of God in the book of John. The Bible is also called the Word of God. That's because the Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is a light to our feet, Peter says, because it keeps pointing you to he who is light himself. And as Jesus was transfigured on that mountain and revealed the glory of God, so Jesus also went up to a different mountain called Golgotha and died. And on that mountain, the light of life became dark. In fact, so much so was he the light of life that as he was being killed, it says the entire earth went dark. Why? Because light was being snuffed out. Why was that? So that you and I, who deserve to dwell in eternal darkness away from the presence of God forever, might actually, through the sacrifice of Christ, dwell in light forever. And do you know what points you to that gospel message over and over again? The scriptures. The scriptures reveal the gospel over and over and over again. Listen, family of God, the goal of the Bible isn't to know the Bible, it's to know its author. That is the goal of the Bible. And my prayer for you, beloved family, is that these words 
that they would be like braille to you, that it would physically come up off of the page as you read them, and that you would feel the words of God in your life so that you might not fall in love with this, but fall in love with who this points to, Jesus himself, so that you will be energized and encouraged and rooted in the faith. This is where life comes from. Find life. Find Jesus, family of God. My prayer genuinely is that we would be a church that loves the scriptures, that we would feel the Bible like Braille. Let these words be like Braille to you, family. Do not use this as a weapon. Use this as a roadmap to find Christ. The whole Bible can transfigure before your eyes. Lit it day after day after day after day. Don't allow the enemy, family, to distract you from this. This is more sacred than your experience. This is more sacred than what other people have used to abuse the word of God. I am sorry, but that is not the Jesus that you are represented. You can find life in Christ. Find life in Christ and see him clearly through the scriptures. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that you are not some facetious father that just leaves us fishing, trying to find out who you are, that you have given us the scripture. God, I pray for anybody in here who does not know you, does not have a relationship with you. They either know they're not a Christian or, or they're not sure if they're in their faith or not. God, I pray that they would take my story and that they would make that a challenge in their life. That they would try to read this book for five minutes a night, every night for a month. Friend, if that's you, I would encourage you to start in the book of John and just keep going throughout the New Testament. And just read it for five minutes a night. And just see if this does not begin to transform your life. This is not just a book. The Holy Spirit, as Peter says, empowers this. The same Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us, who can bring us to life, sits in these words because he penned these words. And so I pray that you would see them clearly. And that through that, you would place your faith in Jesus. And you would follow these words as life. God, I pray for those of us who have made that profession, who have trusted you. God, I pray for healing for those in this room where there may be hurt, where some church may have misrepresented your word, or or maybe even the Bible actually rightly cut us because we were in sin. We're just calling it church hurt. I pray whatever the case might be, would you allow us to see the power of the scriptures that we might submit to them, that we might be guided by them, that we might find life in them, not because the Bible is so special, because you, Holy Spirit, authored it. Because you, Holy Spirit, are leading us to Christ over and over and over again. And you can do that through worship or through some prophetic word, or you can do that through the prophetic word, the scriptures. So I pray that we would trust your word. Jesus, I I thank you that even at your resurrection, 
your first thing wasn't like, hey, look at my hands, experience this, you begin to interpret scripture. I pray that we would allow scripture to be scripture over and over and over again. Help us to remember the gospel always, always. Give us an affection for your word, Jesus. And where we fail and fall short, let us remember the gospel always. That you are gracious and you forgive, that we can start again tomorrow. Your mercies are new every morning. Where we feel weight of our sin or our shame or our guilt or where somebody else has come over and stepped on us in the faith, let us remember the gospel again. You forgive. You love. You lead us to life everlasting. We love you, Christ. We praise things in your beautiful name, Jesus.